Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to the show. Chris Free Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network. Also coming to you live on Sirius XM211 and Patrick Sports. We are presented by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Nick Eber. Great to be with you. And another day of lockdown, another day of no sports. Uh, Dr. Fauci uh, announcing unlikely to see sports here in the U.S. until 2021. I think he's probably referring to fan-filled stadiums as opposed to behind-closed-doors events. And that is going to be the topic today that we're going to deal with. I'll be joined on the show by one of the top soccer attorneys in the country, a really, really good friend of mine, a, a, a lovely guy, Bob Caldwell with Fox Rothschild, will join me on the show today. Uh, let's talk about what the impact of playing behind closed doors would mean to leagues such as Major League Soccer, as well as discussing uh, some of the issues in Germany with the Bundesliga is getting ready to start up again. And of course, that impact, if we talk about the impact in Major League Soccer, will also carry over to the minor leagues, more, most specifically USL. And let's take a look at the impact it'll have on the minor leagues. So once again, uh, playing behind closed doors may sound great, but for many of these leagues, that could be a financial death blow. We're going to talk about it all on the show today. Fifth Street Soccer, we're with you each and every weekday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on these networks. And if you're listening on one of our digital channels, that's iHeart Radio, TuneIn, or the award-winning SiriusXM app, great to have you with us. Look, if you miss any part of this show and you're kicking yourself, you're saying, oh, yeah, I got here late, although if you're listening to this, of course, the beginning of the show, uh, you can catch the replay of the show right as soon as it's over. Go to our podcast network, the Believe Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V. Or you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, it's at Fifth Street Sports. You can find me at Nick Gieber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. Uh, and everything is there for you and your personal edification. All right. In the meantime, I'm going to step aside, take a break. You get ready. We've got a great show today. Bob Caldwell uh, with Fox Rothschild uh, joining me. Uh, let's talk about playing behind closed doors. I'll be right back after this. All right, uh, welcome back to Fifth Street Soccer, presented by BetOnline.ag here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports, where we're with you each and every weeknight, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. By the way, big hello to our men and women in uniform around the world listening on the American Forces Network. Great to have you with us. Also, if you're listening on one of our digital platforms, whether that's iHeartRadio, iTunes, the award-winning SiriusXM app. And of course, if you miss any part of this show, it's available immediately upon its conclusion uh, at the Believe, B-L-E-A-V, podcast network. All right, let's uh, welcome to the show my good friend, one of America's top soccer attorneys uh, with Fox Rothschild, Mr. Bob Caldwell. Bob, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, the more I think about this uh, lockdown and all the discussions in America about the sports leagues opening behind closed doors, the more I realize that for Major League Soccer, that would be an absolute worst-case scenario, because not only would they have to pay players uh, and infrastructure, but they wouldn't be generating any gate. In, in Europe. Nick, I appreciate you having me back on the show to, to talk about this. 
in, in Europe, if we looked at England, for example, if they lost just the last quarter of the season, roughly, that remains, it's estimated that the, the, the league would lose about $1.25 billion, including $952 million in broadcast rights. MLS, it's a totally different situation. The, the Athletic recently reported that MLS's current media rights deal pays $90 million a year from U.S. networks. Um, to put that in comparison, they've reported that the NHL, their media deal brings in about $200 million per year. And the NBA, to give you an idea of what one of the bigger leagues brings in, their rights deal is about worth uh, worth about $2.4 billion annually. So MLS has a much smaller piece of their pie, their income pie that's derived from broadcast revenue. And so much more of, of their revenue is sponsorship and in uh, on, a, on a game day revenue basis, ticket sales, uh, concessions, all of those things that happen when a fan comes down to a park, pays for parking and, and spends you know, two to three hours with uh, 20,000 of their closest friends. So if uh, Major League Soccer is forced to play behind closed doors, Bob, they're going to have to have, uh, they're going to be in the unenviable, unenviable situation of obviously having to pay players, play officials, pay uh, stadium infrastructure, even though there's no one there. I mean, it still costs money to open it up, maintain the, maintain the field, the rental payments, or whatever else they have. And they will literally have zero revenue coming through the door, and they are going to possibly double, triple, or quadruple their expenses based on where they are now. Could this be a serious death blow? Or not death blow is the wrong word. Could this be a serious financial blow to Major League Soccer if they're forced to resume? And what are the pressures? If there's only $90 million in, in revenue, why are they pressuring themselves to resume? Surely, in many respects, just taking the year off would be better for them. Well, it, it's possible um, that they may look at other creative solutions compared to the other leagues. There's still 90 million reasons to try to get the league underway and, and to be able to finish some sort of a season. Nick, it's, it's, it's often said that it takes 30 days to form a habit. If you do something every day for 30 days, you get used to it. And uh, someone recently postulated that, could it take 30 days for us to lose a habit? Could we fall out of love with a particular league, a particular sport in favor of something else if we don't see it for a long period of time. MLS has worked really, really hard over the years to, to be relevant and, and to be uh, a world-class league. And to take a whole year off might be very, very damaging to its brand. It, it's hard to say. But you're right. It still is going to take quite a few people to be present at a stadium in order to put on what we call ghost games, games without crowds. Uh, in the Bundesliga, for example, they're talking about needing between 200 and 300 people to be able to stage a game. And, and they break it down into three levels. The first level of about 100 people would be really on the field. That would be the 22 players. In, in Germany, it would be another substantial number of substitutes. It would be the coaches, the referee team, maybe some ball boys, things of that nature, right on that field level. They estimate then it'll take about another hundred in the next level up. Uh, and that would include all of the people that are necessary from a broadcast uh, standpoint. 
It would take medical trainers, uh, doctors to be there in, in case a player gets injured, things of that nature. And then in some stadiums, they're talking about needing another hundred people on the outer ring of the stadium, not in uh, visual distance of the field, but working the gates, so to speak. There's concerns about whether people overseas will show up at the stadium despite orders to stay at home to yeah. try to support the team from outside. So in MLS, I don't know that we're going to have people, you know, knocking down the gates of the stadium to get in if it's a ghost game, but there's still going to be probably 200 people that are going to be necessary, including players and all that collateral staff to be able to put on a game. That's expensive. That takes up testing resources that in the U.S. we don't really have uh, an abundance of at this point. And so, you know, look, I don't know where we're going to be in July or where we're going to be in September, but right now it's difficult to see MLS getting back really soon because right. of all the resources it would take to be able to get back up and running. And, and, and Bob, I mean, the other issue that I see here that's a problem is, of course, if MLS isn't playing, but the European leagues restart to complete their eight, nine, ten games, whatever they have left, uh, they will, of course, be garnering the majority of television eyeballs uh, that are out there wanting to watch it. And then if MLS does restart in September, October time frame, uh, they're going to be running up right against American football and college football, if any, although, you know, whether or not there's a college football season, we'll have to see. But certainly there's no way in the face of this earth that uh, the NFL is not playing. So uh, they're going to be running up smack against NFL, which is something they've tried desperately to avoid over many years. Yeah, Nick, um, let me be the contrarian in the room. I've always thought that it's very uh, strange from a footballing perspective that we have a season that runs from March or April until, you know, November or so. Maybe this is the year for us to get back on the world calendar. Maybe it would be huh. a good idea for us to take this opportunity. I, there's a lot of contractual things that would have to be resolved. I'm not saying this is an easy fix. Um, people have contracts in the U.S. that run on a calendar year basis and they need to go back to a soccer basis of July 1 to June 30. But would this be a good time for us to join the rest of the world and have a league that ran from the fall through the spring and then, you know, potentially into the early summer? Um, it would be interesting to see if we could pull that off, but you're, you're right. There is going to be a lot of content that could be available. If for example, the Bundesliga, which could start in mid-May, if that starts up again, if the Premier League starts up in, in June, there's going to be a whole lot of competition in a period where MLS has normally tried to avoid that kind of soccer competition. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I've often said that I thought the smartest league or the sharpest league would come back with what I would call a lockout broadcast schedule. There's a whole lot of people that are stuck at home and they're bored. What a great idea it would be if a league could schedule games throughout the day so that when you turned on your TV, whether it was, you know, 9 a.m. Pacific or it was in the afternoon, you'd be able to find an English Premier League or a Bundesliga game on TV, whether that was Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. So there's definitely going to be some strat strategic problems and logistical issues, but um, I think the really interesting thing are all the opportunities that COVID-19 and, and this lockdown situation may provide 
for leagues and, and teams that can be flexible and, uh, and try something a little bit out of the box. All right, Bob Caldwell, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we'll have to get you back on again and talk about the impact on uh, the lower divisions such as USL. That will be a conversation for another time. Uh, Bob, thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay hidden. Don't let this uh, dreaded Lurgy get you, and uh, we'll chat to you soon. All right, we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the show. Ooh, that was quick. <laughs> welcome back to the show. Uh, Nick Eber with you here on Fifth Street Soccer. I cut the germs off, and I thought, you know, what better band to introduce uh, at, during the show during COVID-19 than the Germs, one of the classic uh, L.A. punk bands. But never mind. Uh, good to be back with you. Uh, all right, uh, let's uh, welcome to the show uh, my good friend, uh, one of America's top soccer attorneys from Fox Rothschild, uh, Mr. Bob called well uh bob the covid lockdown uh, in full swing you and i have had numerous conversations about this and about what it means to the sport that we all love uh, but you know one of the things we really haven't talked about is we, we, we've talked about the impact on the bundesliga and the premier league and uh Serie A and la liga and these sort of big well-moneyed leagues and of course we have had some discussions also about major league soccer and uh, some of the negative impact on major league soccer but you know the biggest impact is going to be on lower leagues whether it's the championship in the in the uk uh division one division two whether it's usl here in america uh, i would imagine bob usl is the league that really stands to be badly battered by this uh lockdown and the potential of either no games or behind closed door games yeah nick it's great to be back with you i appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about minor league soccer and, and what COVID-19 is, is potentially going to do to minor league sports in general. Um, it's, it's really a difficult thing. Uh, MLS gets about 90 million per year in broadcast revenue for the USL. It's estimated to be just over 1 million per year. And, and that's spread across the uh, USL championship and league one. That's 47 clubs and the league sharing that $1 million or so media rights deal. So uh, how much was that again, Bob? I'm sorry. I, uh, how much one is that? Mil 1 million per year, just over 1 million per year is what ESPN is paying the USL for the rights to the 47 clubs in the championship and league one of USL. And wow. so it's, it's a, a, a fraction of what MLS is getting per season. And MLS is a fraction of what the European leagues are getting per season. So, so let's start with that. There's not a, an incentive to resume play based on broadcasting revenue at the USL level. And, and to make matters worse, um, it's not like there's no cost to the USL clubs in producing a game. Let's forget for a moment the salaries of the players and the staff and the security people that you would need to open up a behind uh, closed doors game, it's also reported that the USL teams have to pay a particular amount, pay a particular amount of money per season for getting their broadcast, uh, getting their games to be broadcast ready. So they pay, we think about 25,000 per season and about 6,000 per game 
for uh, the ability to have those games broadcast by a third-party vendor. So there really isn't a reason on broadcast revenue alone for USL teams and minor league teams to try to have ghost games. All of their revenue sources, for the most part, have something to do with playing games in front of a live crowd. That's ticket sales, group sales, that's um, somebody buying some, some beer at the concession stand. Uh, it's sponsors who have signs in the stadium that may not care about anything right. other than live interaction with, with uh, fans. And so if, uh, if we're not able to get together as large groups for a while, it's going to be very difficult to see uh, that minor league soccer, which it's a shame because minor league soccer was doing so doggone well in the last several years. But this may really take a bite out of it, at least you for know, the near future. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Bob. And, and, and in fact, uh, it's, it's interesting to look at this because you had mentioned in a previous discussion we'd had um, – Obviously, the the great motivator to um, get these games going again is the fact that there's TV rights money that would need to be repaid, uh, and sometimes these are rather enormous amounts. Uh, however, uh, you know USL doesn't have that. Certainly, the teams in USL, because of the way broad, the one million dollar in broadcast revenue comes down, is so small. Um, it's. Uh, it's almost to the point that, I mean, USL really would be better off just shuttering for a year, extending out uh, sponsorships and contracts for a year. Um, I mean, I can't imagine the operate the ongoing operating costs for a lot of these teams are, are, are that big, um, uh, we, maybe with some exceptions. But, you know, you bring up a fascinating point, Bob, uh, to just move aside from USL for a second. I know Major League Baseball, for example, is talking about playing again, but... You know, how can Major League Baseball look at uh, starting a season without having a minor league to pull players up from when they need them? You know, what, uh, what a lot of the leagues are, are looking at, the, the, the big four, so to speak, in the U.S., so um, soccer probably being the, the fifth league at this point, they're looking at trying to get back up and running with the players that they need uh, immediately at the major league level and for um, a peripheral squad that could be ready in case somebody gets injured or, or look, um, there's a possibility that COVID infections continue to permeate through teams. What happens if three or four of your, your players on an NBA roster are suddenly yeah. struck with COVID? Do you, do you shut down the whole league like you did before? Or do you say, get those four out and we're going to bring in the next four up. So as you said, with baseball, there has to be an ability to have not just the major league guys ready to go, but next up. And so right. what and does it's... that mean? Well, it probably doesn't mean having them play a triple A where you'd have to spend tens of thousands of bucks just to open up the ballpark to have those games. Yeah, It's probably somebody playing on a training field and, and having – scrimmages and things of that nature aren't ideal from a competition standpoint, but at least gets people to a point where they're able to um, have some competitive matches to get them ready in case they're needed. So, so if we, if we revert this now back to USL and MLS, Bob, I mean, let's just say 
MLS restarts in a vacuum. It's the only league in America that restarts at some point, at some point here, and it restarts uh, behind closed doors uh, as best they can. But there's no USL, there's no youth programs going on underneath it. And of course, we can have another discussion about the development academy. But you know, most of these MLS clubs do have under 19s and under 70s, or certainly under 19s that they can draw from, or uh, U20s that they can draw from if they need to. Um, if those aren't playing, if those aren't training, I mean, these leagues and these teams, they're, they're operating in a complete vacuum, Bob. And you're right. If one player gets COVID and decimates your squad, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, look, we've been kind of focused on, on North America in this segment. But I know in Germany, if we take a club like Borussia Mönchengladbach, that, uh, that's my favorite club in Germany, uh, they've got some of their elite under-19 guys that are back to training. And they're training with one of the, uh, you know, one of the assistant coaches from the big boys team. And, and they're off in their own group so that they're not necessarily mingling with, uh, with the pro squad. But the club wants to make sure that if they were to lose a number of players to injury or illness, that they wouldn't be the only team not able to complete the season. So there's some guys that are, that are there that are training now to kind of be ready. And I would imagine that with MLS, they would kind of have to do the same thing. If you were to look at uh, any of the clubs, they either have their own USL team or they have an affiliation with a USL team where they may provide three to five players to that USL team. And so maybe what we'll see is that those MLS teams pull those guys back up to the MLS right. squad. So if, if we look point. at like the Houston Dynamo, They've got a, a kid named Timo Malish down with uh, RGV. Maybe instead of training at RGV, they say, hey, Timo, we want you back up here in Houston because we may need you. Oh, that's actually a really good point, Bob. So, uh, again, the, the, the motivators to return to play for USL are – uh, it, it looks to me like that a return to play for USL could potentially be suicide for the league at this point. Uh, the teams would make, I mean, USL teams struggle to make money at the best of times, Bob. You, you, you and I know that. Uh, the league as a franchise operator uh, has certain responsibilities in terms of uh, infrastructure and, and, and backroom support for the teams. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm just wondering uh, what a annual shutdown, what a shutdown for the season in USL would mean for both the league's corporate office and the individual teams. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. And, and Nick, I actually made a mistake in, in, in talking about Timo. I, I forgot that Timo's rights are actually with Seattle. But, uh, you know, maybe they pull him back up to, the, to their training squad at some point. What does it mean league-wide? I mean, there's, there's so many revenue streams that are dependent on the games actually getting played. Um, if you look at sponsorships, look, look at the, the, the ball sponsor that a, that a team would have. Um, that ball sponsor isn't necessarily going to be interested in, in paying for a league that's, that's not playing. So it affects team sponsors. There's been some lower level clubs uh, that have lost uh, jersey sponsors because of, of this situation. Uh, there's a team, I believe, in Omaha that's decided that since they lost their jersey sponsor, they were going to uh, give it to a charity for the year, and they've decided to put two health organizations on the front of their jersey this year to kind of 
give a, a, a little bit of a shout out to the, uh, the frontline medical workers. All right, Bob Caldwell, always a pleasure. This discussion is ongoing. We'll have you on again. Uh, check us out on Twitter. We'll have Bob's information up there. Bob, what's your Twitter handle very, very quickly? Caldwell ESQ. Caldwell ESQ. That's where you can find Bob, one of the country's top soccer lawyers. We'll have him back on again. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Fifth Street Soccer brought to you by Bet Online. And look, while you're waiting this pandemic out at home with us, uh, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. Look, I know there's no NBA, NHL, MLB. I mean, good Lord, there's no Premier League. There's no Serie A, La Liga. We may talk about the Bundesliga, but you may think there's nothing on. But Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino, which has both poker and blackjack. But it's not just that. There's eSports, American Idol. There's the Big Brother, the election, Spelling Bee, and, of course, their big $75,000 poker series. There's still fun to be had. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, that's betonline.ag. Use promo code MYPOD100. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. All right, well, welcome back to the show for Street Soccer. Nick Gieber with you here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. Uh, one of our favorite and most popular guests on this show is a good friend of mine. He is uh, just about America's top football attorney, now with Fox Rothschild, my good friend Bob Caldwell. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, of course, with this uh, lockdown and everything else that's going on. Uh, why don't we start with the lockdown, Bob? W what does this actually mean in terms of dollars, pounds, euros to the big European clubs? Well, Nick, first of all, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be with you and to talk to your guests again. Um, you know, this is to some degree a, a, a multifaceted if, a situation. People want to get back to sports because they want to have uh, an outlet from lockdown. They want to be able to see some some live content on television that brings some semblance of normalcy. Uh, but it's also uh, a health issue and it's a financial issue. So uh, let's start with the finances and the, and the reason why most of the leagues are trying really hard to uh, to get back to play as soon as possible. Um, let, let, let's start on the small level. Let's, let's look at the EPL. Let's look at a club like Burnley. Burnley, uh, some of their folks came out recently and said that if the rest of the season was canceled, that would cost them about $62.5 million in, uh, in, lost, uh, in lost income. Not just lost income, but money that they might have to give back. Wow. And in Burnley's case, that would consist of about $56 million in broadcast revenue and about uh, about six and a quarter million in live game day revenue. That's people buying tickets, that's uh, people buying concessions, all the things that are associated with game day revenue. So that's just a small club like Burnley, which you know has a nice stadium, but it's not huge. Uh, when you look at it for um, a, a, another team, let's go to Germany for a second. 
Red Bull Leipzig, RB Leipzig estimates that just the cost of continuing the season with ghost games would cost uh, for the rest of this season and, and the start of next season, basically for 2020, they estimate that would cost about 55 million US. And that's not including lost uh, television revenue, that's just gate revenue. So there's huge numbers. When we look at this from a, a league-wide level, England, the EPL estimates that it will lose about $1.25 billion if the season is canceled. And that would include having to repay a, a little bit more than $950 million to the television broadcasters if they don't uh, if they're not able to finish the league. The numbers are similar in other countries. In Spain, uh, it would be about 1.08 billion, including, uh, here's the thing, it's not just if we can find a way to do things uh, behind closed doors. It'd be 108 billion if the season was canceled. But even if in Spain they were able to complete the season, they'd still estimate uh, about 380 million would be lost revenue just behind closed doors. So we're, we're, we're facing an existential threat, uh, uh, threat to the future of professional football because of this particular pandemic. And I think when we keep that in mind, we see why some of the leagues have really been trying hard to find a way to get back to playing as soon as possible. Well, certainly, Bob, it would seem that behind closed doors will mitigate certainly the broadcast portion of the potential losses because they will, of course, provide uh, live games for their broadcast partners. And I would imagine in turn their broadcast partners will find the uh, scarcity of the sports landscape out there that they have a virtual monopoly lock on the sports television watcher. So it could benefit both sides, which, and I agree with you, it certainly seems particularly UEFA pushing very, very hard to let the, all the domestic leagues complete. It seems like they're taking all of their UEFA tournaments and making them second and uh, third priority, clearly, as we saw with uh, Euro 2020 getting pushed to 2021. Uh, the statements they've made, particularly about the Europa League, that they just may not finish it, period. Some discussion about the Champions League. You know, Bob, I have to believe the Champions League will actually not get finished this year uh, because they were not at the point in the Champions League where I think you could say there was one dominant team that was likely to win it. And I think it may be the Champions League, the Europa League, maybe the two easiest tournaments to cancel. What do you think? Well, I think the Europa League and the Champions League probably need to be looked at separately. Um, for obvious reasons, the money really is at the Champions League level. There would be tremendous logistical problems with trying to get the league, uh, the Champions League back up and running. You look at uh, PSG is still in the race, right? So yep. uh, we've just yep. had the, the one of the, the highest officials in France came out yesterday and said that whether ghost games or not, there's not going to be professional sports before September 1 in France. And so UEFA has looked at August and kind of earmarked that month as possible resumption of Champions League. But what happens if some of the teams that are still in the competition are being banned from training, banned from, um, from playing? Could they find an alternate solution? Could PSG move to uh, a different location outside of France to try to, you know, be able to, to at least get ready to play Champions League? But as many reasons as there are not to do it, there are, in UEFA's case, 1.1 billion reasons 
to try to finish the season in August. Yeah. And I think anytime you have that many reasons to try to do something, people will at least be creative in trying to find a solution. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Uh, but, you know, if we look back, uh, uh, I, I know you are, Bob, uh, and by the way, uh, Nick Eber here, uh, Mystery Soccer, talking to Bob Caldwell, uh, one of America's top soccer attorneys, uh, currently with Fox Rothschild, and uh, it's great to have Bob on. Uh, Bob, uh, I, I know you're very connected in Germany. Tell me, uh, how is this training situation going in Germany? Because they had originally slated May 9th as a, as a restart date. Well, in, in Germany, we've talked about, you know, some financial issues. It's particularly dire in Germany. So let me back up and do just a little bit of context. In, uh, in England, you've got the ability for a rich person to own a club, right? You yep. can have billionaires and, and, and oil barons and all sorts of really, really rich people that own a club. And you know what? If they lose a little bit of money, things will probably still be okay. In Germany, we've talked about this before, Nick, there's a, a rule in place called the 50 plus one rule in Germany, which means that clubs have to be owned by members, normal people, fans, if you will. 50% plus one share of the club has to be owned by normal everyday fans. And what that means is there aren't as many of these clubs that are that are funded by rich guys. And they're in very dependent on annual revenue. Um, they're, they're dependent on gate revenue. They're dependent on broadcast revenue. And there was a, a publication that came out about a week ago that said uh, there's 18 clubs in the, in the Bundesliga. There's 18 in the second Bundesliga. And of those 36 clubs, 12 of those clubs have apparently pledged the last TV rights payment that's due to their creditors, there is a threat that if the season did not continue, that maybe one third of the professional clubs at the first two levels could have uh, serious problems, could be insolvent, could go bye-bye. And so in Germany, um, not only do they have financial reasons to try to complete the season, but they do have an opportunity. Um, as far as, as different regions of the world are considered, Germany's considered to have handled coronavirus pretty well. Things aren't as bad there. There's a, an abundance of testing compared to other countries. And the outbreak has been relatively well managed. So uh, about, uh, I think about three or four weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, Bundesliga teams got to start training again. But they could only do that if they were able to respect social distancing. So I spoke to a player that... Uh, is with one of the Bundesliga clubs, and he told me that his normal day is, is very different. They train in groups of no more than eight players, and they spread out. So there's one group that takes up the locker room, for example. Uh, there's one group that's changing in the away locker room. There's people that are spread out in the coach's locker room, the referee's locker room, even in the doping control room. And so some guys decide that they want to shower at home. They change at home. They just come in, change the, into their shoes, into their boots, and get on with work and then go home. But in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks, they've not been able to train normally. In the first two weeks, it was basically just fitness and individual technical skills. Then it moved on to passing, shooting, uh, fitness is, is certainly back up to, to par where it should be, 
but they still, as of today, are not able to have any kind of one-on-one -on -one training, no tackling, certainly no scrimmages yet. And the guys say that they really think they need two full weeks of training one-on-one -on -one before they're going to be able to get back to playing games again. So, Bob, I mean, there's no way realistically that the Bundesliga is going to come back before middle of May on that basis. Um, and, and I don't know, how many games are left? Is it is it nine? Yeah, that sounds right. I don't have it in front of me, Nick, but um, it's about a quarter of the season, so that would be about right. About a quarter of the season left. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they've got nine games to play, very similar to all the other leagues in Europe at this point, really. Um they're going to have to get the players in shape and then in some sort of game shape. And I know there's been discussion, and Bob, we only have about 90 seconds left. Uh, do you think this, uh, this suggestion that they allow five substitutions uh, for the remaining games will uh, alleviate some of the potential physical strain on players who are not match fit? Well, all the clubs are looking at ways to be able to, to change and, and survive the uh, the possibility of playing the rest of the season. So uh, having additional substitutions, as long as they don't horribly affect game flow, might be a good thing. I can tell you that with uh, one club that I represent, they've got a lot of their top prospects at U19 and U23 that have uh, also resumed training because there's a threat that what happens, even if you're segregating into, say, three or four groups, what happens if one of those groups comes down with coronavirus and has to get segregated? Right. You may suddenly need some of those U19 and U23 guys to come in, at least to sit on the bench, just to be able to finish your season. Uh, absolutely true. All right, I'm talking with Bob Caldwell, one of America's top soccer attorneys with Fox Rothschild. I'm going to step aside, take a break, and I'll be right back with more here on Fifth Street Soccer on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. Don't go anywhere. Back to Street Soccer, Nick Evil with you. We are presented by BetOnline.ag. It's great to be with you. We're with you every Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. And look, if you've missed any part of this show, never fear, my friends. You can find it. Our podcast is made available immediately upon the conclusion of the show, and you can find us at the Believe Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V, the Believe Podcast Network. A uh, funny song, that, Sham 69. Of course, hurry up, Harry. Uh, only funny because, well, <laughs> no one's going to be going down the pub till at least 2021, according to the uh, UK government. That is the latest that I have heard the pubs are slated to remain closed for that long. Look, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. And uh, that's what this show is about. It's about opinions and discussions. And uh, look, everybody has a passion and an opinion that they believe about, something that they believe in passionately. And this is the show for that, because football and, well, quite frankly, any sport, they're all about emotion and passion. Love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter, at Nick Eber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. That's at Nick Eber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. Uh, very important that you uh, communicate with me. 
so that you give me lots of topics to talk about because of course while we are uh, slightly slower in terms of the live sports these days and that's an understatement uh, it's the stories around the sport the continuing drama the soap opera that make it oh so fun to talk about all right uh, believe podcast network that's where you will find me uh, b-l-e-a-v right after the show you can download this show you can download all our past shows and you can sign up so you'll be notified every time we post a new show but we do hope you'll join us live on the sports byline broadcast network and sirius xm211 dan patrick sports i want to thank everyone involved with this show for putting it out there look we all have to show up and work under trying circumstances or stay at home and work under trying circumstances but i want you to stay safe at home don't be stupid stay away from this boogeyman all right and we'll get through this together till tomorrow cheers When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.